Ephesians chapter 5 today and verse 15. So Ephesians 5, verse 15 to 21 reads, Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is the reading of God's Word. Ruby, very much indeed. Good morning, everybody. It's lovely to see you. Well, not a long reading, but uh, a very important passage, as we're going to discover. Uh, Before I pray, I just want to say a special thank you to the music team. Um, They do play so beautifully for us, don't they? And uh, what a joy it is. And we are thankful to them for making the sacrifice of coming here early in the morning on Sundays to practice. Uh, so that we can get the full benefit, and we're deeply grateful. Well, let's please keep our Bibles open um, at Ephesians 5, and um, I'll pray. Well, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your many kindnesses to us, and we pray that out of your abundance, you would help us to see into your word this morning, to see things that are precious and timely and helpful and strengthening and convicting. And we ask that you would not only help us to see these things, but also to act upon them. And we ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, I'd like to start this morning by asking you to listen to the last words of a young African pastor uh, who was martyred in Rwanda, and I hope his words will appear on the screen. There it is. This is what he said. I'm part of the fellowship of the unashamed. I have Holy Spirit power. The die has been cast, I have stepped off the line, the decision has been made. I'm a disciple of Christ, I won't look back, let up, slow down, back away, or be still. My past is redeemed, my present makes sense, and my future is secure. I'm finished and done with low living, sight walking, small planning, smooth knees, colorless dreams, tamed vision, (coughs) mundane talking, cheap giving, and dwarfed goals. I no longer need preeminence, prosperity, position, 
promotions or popularity. I cannot be bought, compromised, detoured, turned back, lured away, deluded or delayed. I will not flinch in the face of sacrifice, hesitate in the presence of the adversary, negotiate at the table of the enemy, ponder at the pool of popularity, meander in the maze of mediocrity. I won't give up, shut up, let up, until I have stared up, prayed up, paid up, preached up for the cause of Christ. I am a disciple of Jesus. I must go till he comes. Give till I drop. Preach till all know. And work till he will have no problem recognizing me. My banner will be clear. End quote. Now that young man was uh, serving in Rwanda when he was captured by rebel forces and uh, he was told either to renounce Christ or face death. He refused to deny Christ. He was killed on the spot. Sometime later, his last words were found among his personal papers. I don't know about you, but I find his personal testimony extraordinarily moving because I see in him a an uncompromising commitment to Christ and a certainty about what that looks like in practice that sounds, yes, a little bit scary, but also wonderfully inspiring. Now, most of us, I think, here this morning want there to be that same kind of integrity between what we believe and the way that we live. You know, there is a part of us, isn't there, that hungers after the kind of consecration described by that young man. But it's not easy, is it? Now that, of course, has been Paul's main concern through this middle section of Ephesians. And a couple of weeks ago, you may remember, that he was saying to us, you are God's dearly loved children, so live a life of love. Show the world who you are. And then uh, in the previous study before this one, his message to us was, you are God's holy people. So live holy lives that reflect the light of God's truth out into the darkness of Cape Town. Okay, but for most of us, the question in the back of our minds is, well, how on earth do I do that? Because the truth is that we actually find it really rather difficult. Uh, in our heads, we know that it means making certain changes, uh, putting off the habits and the attitudes of the old life, and putting on the lifestyle that's appropriate for new people, people who've been given a fresh start. And uh, Paul's given us enough concrete examples of what that looks like. But you know, in our hearts and in the day-to-day -day reality of our lives, all of us struggle. So what are we missing? 
Surely there's more to living the Christian life than following uh, a list of do's and don'ts as best we possibly can and hoping that we might make some progress. Well, praise God there is. And the missing ingredient is the last five words at the end of verse 18, where the apostle says, be filled with the Spirit. If you want to live a life of love, If you want to be God's holy people, be filled with the Spirit. Well, it sounds marvellous. What on earth does it actually mean? Is that something that we do? Or is it something that the Holy Spirit does? Well, according to our passage this morning, the answer is both. Paul's already told us that we were sealed with the Spirit when we first responded to the Gospel, chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. So, the Spirit of God, uh, the third person of the Trinity, is already living in every Christian. And he brings the transforming power of God into our lives, making us more and more like the Lord Jesus. Yes, we know that. But the problem is that because we're still sinners, we unconsciously put limits on where we will permit the Spirit to work. Uh, We've already seen, haven't we, in a previous study that we can grieve him, that we can cause him deep distress by spoiling his work when we go back to the habits of the old life. But the idea in this passage is that there are entire areas of our lives where we simply refuse to allow him to get started. So think for a moment of your life as being rather like a large house with many different rooms. Each room represents a different area of your life. Downstairs... Uh, There's a room marked Bible reading and prayer. Now you're delighted to welcome the Holy Spirit in there because he helps you to understand God's word and he shows you how to pray. Then there's another room marked doubt. And inside that room, all the walls are covered with pictures of all the bad things that we've done in our lives. Whenever we see them, We just can't believe that God could ever have accepted us and doubts start to creep in. And so again, we we welcome the Holy Spirit into that room and in his mercy, uh, he covers those pictures with the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ and he gives us fresh assurance that we really are God's dearly loved children. But then you see there are other rooms which we keep locked and bolted. We don't want the Holy Spirit of God coming in to those rooms and changing things around. Uh, At one end of the house, there's a room marked career. And uh, from our point of view, things are going pretty well in that room. Uh, We've been working some pretty long hours recently. We haven't seen very much of the family, 
but there's a steady income and there's a hint of a big promotion just round the corner. We really don't want the Holy Spirit coming in there and changing things around. Then down the passage, there are other doors. One is marked marriage. Uh, another one is marked lifestyle. And yet another one is labelled academic achievement. And for different reasons, all of those doors are locked. And there's a big sign on the outside of each one which says to the Holy Spirit, keep out. When you look closely, you realise that the sign has been written in your own handwriting, even if you can't quite remember when you wrote it or why. But friends, all of those keep out signs are a problem. A couple of weeks ago, we saw that Christians are to be imitators of God. That is our calling. That is our purpose. There is to be a likeness between us and God. I mean, that's what you would expect, isn't it, between a father and his dearly loved children. But you see, the fact is that if we have locked the Holy Spirit out of some pretty significant areas of our lives, well, we're never going to be able to do it. We might be real Christians, but we'll always be unhappy. And we'll always be aware that there was a richness and a purpose to our lives that somehow we completely missed. So what do we do in order to obey Paul's command in verse 18? How do we begin to remove those keep out signs so that the Spirit fills us and we become the people God intends for us to be? Well, this passage highlights three changes that we can make which are all well within the grasp of every Christian. And the first is this. We must change our attitude to time. We must change our attitude to time. Come with me, please, to uh, verse 15. Paul writes... Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Now, at one level, you know, verse 15 is saying that the wise person is going to be careful about the way that they use their time. And while that is true, the apostles actually saying something far more profound than that. The phrase, make the most of every opportunity, actually trans translates a phrase in the original that means redeeming the time. Now what that means is that time has been taken prisoner. It's been taken captive. It's been enslaved by the culture. The time has, if you like, been chained by the demands of the world's materialistic anti-God way of thinking so that it is not as readily available for us to use as we would wish. So a few years ago, uh, Time magazine 
at a cover story entitled How America Has Run Out of Time. And it began like this. Quote, if you have a moment to read this story with your feet up, free of interruption at your leisure, put it down, it's not for you. If, like almost everyone else, you're trying to do something else at the same time, if you're stuck in traffic, waiting in the airport lounge, watching the news, stirring the soup, shining your shoes, drying your hair, read on, or hire someone to read it for you to give you a summary later, end quote. Now that, I think, is a very accurate picture of life for most people today. The pressures of life steal our time, and we let them do it. But you see, the wise Christian simply can't settle for that. We've got to redeem the time. Now, the word redeem means to set something free by the payment of a price. It's what Jesus did for us on the cross, paying the ultimate price to set us free from sin and death. So what then is the price that we need to pay in order to redeem the time? The answer is in verse 17. Paul says, therefore do not be foolish, that word means mindless, do not be mindless, but understand what the Lord's will is. So, the wise Christian pays a price by disciplining himself to set aside time every day to understand the will of God preserved by the Holy Spirit in Scripture. That's how you and I redeem the time. There'll be a thousand voices screaming at us that there are far more important things to do. But if we're going to live wisely, those things will have to wait. Because we've got to devote time every day to reading the Bible carefully, getting to know what God is like, understanding what pleases him and displeases him, and then asking for discernment to see how all of that applies to the particular circumstances of our daily lives. Of course, all of it takes time. But you see, being filled with the Spirit starts here. You can't be Spirit-filled without that. And it's doing this, you see, that changes the way that you use your time in the ordinary routines of everyday life, in the places where God has placed you. Because, you see, whether it's in the workplace or down in the college or at the sports club, those places are all right on the front line of God's kingdom. And you must make the most of every opportunity so that God's light and love shine out from your life into the lives of the people that God has placed around you. 
By the way, that doesn't mean you have to start with words. Rather, perhaps start by taking the time to listen to people with their problems. Or to stand up for right and truth when others are despising it. Or take the time to look for opportunities to strengthen the weak. And to protect them when other people are exploiting them or treating them badly. Those are all really good investments of time. Because you see they're opening a door, aren't they? For you to share Jesus. Paul says there's an urgency about this because the days are evil. And you see, by using that particular phrase, the apostle is warning us that without a conscious intervention on our part, our use of time will be controlled by the culture and not by the Holy Spirit. And according to verse 17, The person who lives like that is foolish. So we must change our attitude to time. Second, if we're going to be filled with the Spirit, we must change our attitude to worship. What is your attitude to worship, I wonder? Uh, In conservative church circles, most people think of worship as what happens before the sermon. It's kind of the warm-up before the more serious business of listening to God's word being explained. We know we've got to do it, but some of us aren't really too sure why we're doing it or whether anything terribly serious is happening. Now that's the problem. A pastor called A.W. Tozer described the problem in these words. He said, there are today many millions of people who hold right opinions about God, probably more than ever before in the history of the church. Yet I wonder if there was ever a time when true spiritual worship was at a lower ebb. To great sections of the church, the art of worship has been lost entirely and in its place has come that strange and foreign thing called the program. This word has been borrowed from the stage and applied with sad wisdom to the type of public service which now passes for worship among us. Well, Tosa wrote that back in 1948, a long time ago. But I don't think things have changed very much since. I think his basic point still stands. We've allowed a gap to open up between the importance we attach to having right opinions about God and the priority we give to worship. And can I say, I'm sure you probably know this, but let me just say it anyway, it's a particular danger for those of you at Bible college. And it is disastrous. You see, we're never going to be joyful, thankful, effective Christians until we worship God in the way that God wants to be worshipped. 
How do we do that? Come with me to verse 18. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, friends, there is a huge message here. So if your mind has wandered to the hike on Table Mountain this afternoon or the Greek and Hebrew exams tomorrow and Tuesday, please come back to me now. Because the Apostle is teaching us that when the church gathers to worship God in the way that God wants us to be worshipped, sorry, the way that God wants to be worshipped, what happens then is that God fills us with his spirit. Let me say that again. When the church gathers to worship God in the way that God wants to be worshipped, God fills us with the Spirit. Now, is that a new thought for you? And I say that because grammatically, we need to insert the word by, B-Y, at the beginning of verse 19. And when we do, it reads like this. Be filled with the Spirit by speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and so on. So can you see, this is so important, true worship is not simply the result of being filled with the Spirit, although that is true, but the big point is that true congregational worship is actually the means of being filled with the Spirit. So when we gather to worship God, telling him his worth in speech and in song, thanking him for everything that he's done for us, he meets with us and his spirit fills us. And in case you're wondering, this isn't something that was fresh for the Apostle Paul. It was always God's design. And I want to show you that, so keep one finger, please, in Ephesians. Turn back in your Bibles to 2 Chronicles, chapter 5. 2 Chronicles, chapter 5. Now, the context uh, here is the dedication of the temple. Solomon has just finished building the temple um, according to the precise instructions laid down by God, 2 Chronicles 5, verse 13. And now there's a huge worship service to celebrate the completion of the project. To help you see the connection with our passage, let me remind you that in the Old Testament, God made his presence known to his people by coming to them in a cloud, okay? 
Verse 13, 2 Chronicles 5. The trumpeters and musicians joined in unison to give praise and thanks to the Lord, accompanied by trumpets, cymbals, and other instruments. The singers raised their voices in praise to the Lord and sang, He is good, his love endures forever. Then the temple of the Lord was filled with the cloud and the priests could not perform their service because of the cloud for the glory of the Lord filled the temple of God. Now, do you see the connection? God is being worshipped in the way that he wants to be worshipped, and he responds by coming to his people in the cloud. And back in Ephesians, come there now, Paul is saying God hasn't changed. When we gather like this, if we worship God from our hearts, in other words, sincerely, and thoughtfully, not mind in neutral, being thankful for everything that he's done for us through Jesus, then God comes to us, not in a cloud, but to us individually and personally by the Holy Spirit. So therefore, can I please encourage you to arrive early on Sunday mornings? If you can please try and join us for the prayer meeting in there at nine o'clock. If that's too early for you, you can't get here by then, do try and arrive in time to be still before the Lord and to ask him to use the songs, the prayers, the worship, to open your heart to his majesty and to his goodness. But there's something else here. Verse 19 says that when we worship, just look at it, we are meant to be speaking to one another. Now, friends, that is super interesting, isn't it? It's saying that in our worship time, I have a responsibility to you, and you have a responsibility to me. You see, if I want to be spirit-filled, I'm not at liberty to come to church and to be silent and disengaged. I'm not. Equally, I'm not supposed to be in my own little private worship bubble, completely ignoring the people around me. Neither of those are options. We're to speak to one another with psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit. And as we do that, we'll be leading one another to a right view of Jesus and encouraging one another towards greater obedience. And as that happens, we will be filled with the Spirit. So, my dear friends, we need to change our attitude to worship. Thirdly, if we're going to be filled with the Spirit, we must change our attitude to one another. The new attitude we're to have towards one another is there in verse 21. 
Verse 21. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, some of you probably know that this leads into a new section of the letter where Paul is going to tell us what submission looks like in all of our personal relationships. And there's plenty that we're going to have to learn. For example... Uh, we're going to see that we don't all submit to one another in quite the same way because God gives us different roles, different responsibilities. And uh, the way that we submit to one another varies according to the particular roles that we're given. And if you want to know more about that, you've got to be here next Sunday morning. But this morning, we've got to touch on this matter of submission because it is one of the ways in which we open our lives to being filled with the Spirit. And I say that because in the original language, verse 21 is part of the same sentence that began back in verse 18. So the flow of thought in the paragraph develops like this. Be filled with the Spirit by speaking, singing, giving thanks, and by submitting to one another. Now I think it was only this week when I really began to understand for the first time why this is so terribly important. Do you remember that uh, back in chapter 4, verse 17, Paul began a little section in which he was teaching about holiness. And one of the things he says in that section is, stop living like pagans. Now, of course, if you think about it, one of the great doctrines in pagan culture, and I'm talking about Cape Town, is that to be submissive is to be weak. Isn't that right? I mean, in nearly all the media today, The popular cry is, assert yourself, stand up for your rights. So you see, what we're being told to do here by the Apostle Paul is massively countercultural, which means, of course, it won't come naturally to anybody. But the principle we need to learn this morning is that in a true New Testament church, Christians submit to one another as a means of giving and receiving grace. How does it work? How does that work? Well, remember we said that uh, all of us have put certain keep-out signs on different rooms in our lives. In order to keep God out, in order to keep the Holy Spirit at a distance, we've all done it. There's nobody here this morning who hasn't done it. Most of the time, we don't even realize we've done it. Of course, as long as we're doing that, we're never going to change and we'll never mature as Christian people. So submission says, I know that because he loves me, God has brought me into his family, the church. The church is a foretaste of heaven and I certainly want to be part of it. But I also know that I am easily self-deceived about my faith and practice. So, I willingly give the family permission 
to help me recognize and remove those keep out signs so that I can be filled with the Spirit and become the person my Heavenly Father wants me to be. Now we're going to say more about this over the next couple of weeks. This morning I want to close by asking whether you can see the problem here. See, I think I need to say this. For many, many people, coming to church is a formality. They come to go. If they're here 30 seconds after 10.29, that's too much, and they rush out of the door like a whirlwind. They certainly don't want anybody getting too close, uh, asking them perhaps where they might be holding out against the Holy Spirit. I'm sure we can all think of people like that. And maybe I'm talking to somebody here this morning. But what are the consequences if you do that? See, if I refuse the means of grace, the consequence is I won't be filled with the Spirit. That means I won't have the power that I need in order to live the life God has called me to live. And you see, in the time of trial, in the moment of testing, there's a very real danger that I will fall away altogether. So that, you see, is why being filled with the Spirit is not an optional extra for super-keen Christians. No, it isn't. It is a life belt for everybody. And therefore the question is, what are you doing about it? Well, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we we thank you that you've given us a purpose that invests our lives with dignity and significance. And more than that, you've shown us this morning that you have graciously provided the means for us to fulfill that purpose, teaching us how we can be filled with the Spirit. So, Father, please change our attitudes where they need to be changed. And in the areas of our lives where we've shut out your spirit, give us grace to open the door so that your spirit can come in and change us, making us more and more like Jesus. For it is in his name that we pray.